my coach used to call me his athlete. And it it was weird for me because I was never athletic. I practically failed gym. I never went to gym. That was my least favorite subject. It took a couple of years before I really felt like, yeah, I am an athlete. I'm a triathlete. Hey there, my name is Kim, and this is my podcast, Power Up Your Performance. I believe that we have the power to rewrite our stories, change the trajectory of our lives, pour love into the world, conquer monumental challenges, and that movement can be a catalyst for change. Let's grow together. Welcome to Power Up Your Performance. everyone. Welcome back. This is Kim Peek. I'm your podcast host. I am also a dream builder and movement maker, helping women find their voice and use their talents to live a life they love. I've been thinking a lot lately about what it takes to live your dream life. How do we create a life we love? How do we break free of all of those things, real or imagined, that are keeping us from going for it, from chasing our dreams, from making things happen, from living life on our own terms. I know I've done a lot of episodes of Power Up Your Performance on that topic, and I'm excited to be doing even more of that. Some of you may know that back when the pandemic started, I started a social media marketing agency with my daughter, Abby. It's called Iris Digital Media Group. And... We do social media marketing, digital marketing, helping clients with lead generation, coming up with freebies and lead magnets and the PDFs and podcast creation and promotion and editing for people, small businesses who are trying to make an impact in the world. And in July, we started our own podcast for that business. It is called The Digital Dreamer. And on that podcast, we share strategies for escaping what I call the suffocating nine to five, for achieving financial independence, having the freedom to do the things you love and contribute to the greater good, all while being smart about digital marketing. And I'm so excited to be recording this podcast. I'm having so much fun recording it with my daughter. So we sit down and we have a real conversation, not just about our job in social media, but also about what it takes to build our dream lives. And so that's kind of fun for me, just talking to her, going more in depth on our favorite topics, but also dreaming, thinking about, you know, not just talking about it, but what actions are we going to take? What are we doing personally to live lives that we love? And I don't know what your dream life looks like, But for most of us, or for many of us, I would imagine that involves things like time with friends and family, financial and time freedom, having both the time and the money to live life on your own terms, to do things when and where you want to. And then maybe also just about being able to spend your time doing things that fulfill you. Also thinking about giving back in some way. Supporting a cause, helping others, maybe working in your community, doing something to get involved. And so as I think about what does it mean to live your dream life, I think a lot of that boils down to time. What do we do with our time? 
And so just going through the regular journalism, five W's, thinking about who you're spending your time with. I mean, if you're living your dream life, are there certain people that you want to spend your time with? Is it your friends, your family? Maybe it's meeting new people or exploring new cultures. What does that mean to you? The what, what do you want to spend your time doing? Do you have lots of hobbies you want to pursue? Is there something that you wish you could spend more time doing? You know, there's that saying or the study about people at the end of their lives when they're asked the regrets, the regrets of the people as they're dying, what they regret. It's never, I wish I worked more. It's, I wish I would have taken the trip, spent more time with my spouse, spent more time with my kids. So what are those things, the who's and the what's? You know, is it you want to learn a new language? You want to explore a new culture? What is your what? Maybe there's something you want to build or a community that you want to serve. Maybe there's a cause that you're passionate about. Again, just thinking about how you spend your time, the who and the what. When? For me, that's a big one. I want to be able to spend my time, do the things that I want when I want to do them, as much as that is possible. And so for me, that means getting up and taking my dogs from their walk for their walk, then doing my workout, maybe spending some time journaling, and just having quiet time to reflect and do things that feed my soul before I switch gears and start giving of myself to others for the day or getting down to other things that we might classify as work. So again, just how are you going to spend your time? And then where? Where are you going to do whatever it is you want to do? Are you going to do it at home, in an office, on the road, in a VRBO, in a camper van, by your pool, with your church, with a community group, with a mastermind? There are all sorts of possibilities about the who and the where you are going to spend your time so that you are living a life that you love where you feel fulfilled. And obviously that's going to change maybe throughout seasons of your life or throughout even the time of the day or the days of the week. That's the beauty of your dream life. It doesn't have to be in the same place with the same people all the time. And then why are you doing the things that you do? Is it because you want to learn something? Is it because you want to give back? Is it because you want to serve? Just thinking again about the ways you spend your time. Why are you choosing the things that you choose? And I think when we start to put all of these things together, we start to get a clearer picture of what a dream life means to each of us. So like I said, this is one of my favorite topics. I've done a lot of episodes on building a dream life. And since I will be exploring that over on my other podcast, The Digital Dreamer, I hope that if you like this stuff, plus if you like marketing, or maybe you're just curious about how do you start to create a life where you could live on the road, selling your knowledge, using digital products, selling courses. Maybe you are selling everything you own and picking up and moving across the country and you're going to live kind of a mobile lifestyle, jumping from place to place or traveling the world, traveling the country in your RV. 
maybe what you do is you create a podcast about it and monetize it, or you write, create a YouTube channel, or write blogs about it, share your information, and that is a way that you can support yourself so that you can spend more time doing the things you love. If you've ever been curious about podcasting, course creation, social media, and you think, huh, maybe that is something I can do, but I don't know a lot about it, I encourage you to follow us over at The Digital Dreamer. You can also follow us on Instagram at The Digital Dreamer Podcast and just go along for that ride too. But today I want to tell you all about our guest. Hillary Topper of New York lives a pretty fantastic life herself. She has a new book out called From Couch Potato to Endurance Athlete, A Portrait of a Non-Athletic Triathlete. It just came out this August, and it's a great book to inspire anyone to overcome their past, push past their boundaries, and change their life for the better. And that is something that we all want, right? In this episode, we'll talk about some of the obstacles she's overcome, some of the really famous and cool people that she's met, too, while she has completed numerous endurance events, going from couch potato to runner to triathlete. She has completed dozens of Olympic and sprint triathlons across the country, and she's also a triathlon coach. And I just, I just love talking to her. She's very driven. And you can tell that she is very dedicated to inspiring others and helping others find this path. Welcome, Hillary. I am so excited to have you on the show today. Thank you so much, Kim, for having me. I feel like we have so much in common. This is going to be a fun interview. One of the things I am super curious about, because I'm fascinated about the idea of how do you convince people who have never exercised to get started? So I would love to hear how you went from couch potato to endurance athlete. What sparked that in you? What made you think, wake up one morning and say, hey, I think this sounds like a good idea? So I was 47 years old. And I never exercised a day in my life. I never even belonged to a gym. I had, I was just, you know, I'd come home from, I'd work all day. I'd come home from work and hang out with my husband. We'll have a glass of wine. And basically that was that, you know, go to bed. Um, And I started thinking I'm going to, I'm turning 50 soon and I really need to move myself. I need to become active. And my parent, my mother was always very, very overweight and my sister was overweight. So like I was going down that path. I was overweight. I was not, I just felt like I was not doing anything. And there's this parkway here. It's it's really random where there's a bike trail and it's called the Wantua Parkway on Long Island. And I would go there and I'd watch people running and I would think to myself, wow, I would love to do that. That's like something I really want to try, but I didn't know how to start. So I joined a gym. I joined New York Sports Club and I hired a personal trainer and he kicked my butt. But before he kicked my butt, he said to me, jump on the treadmill. Make sure you jump on the treadmill for like five minutes, warm up. 
And I'm like, I get on the treadmill and I'm like looking around and everybody's running. Everybody looks beautiful. <laughs> I'm like, wait a second, do I belong here? So I, I, I asked somebody to help me turn on the treadmill. I mean, that's how pathetic I was. I had no idea how to do this. Right. And so then I just started walking. And as time went on, I started to run a little bit. And that's how I kind of got into it. Yeah, I think that's so interesting. There's a lot of overlap in our stories there. I I have always gone to the gym, at least as an adult. I was definitely a gym rat before I had kids. But I was also in my early 40s when I started running. And then I think as your story unfolds, we're going to find a lot of overlap there too. So I love that part. I also think it's interesting because that beginning of starting to do any kind of a workout program is hard. You're in pain. You're exhausted. I mean, man, the the trainer not even telling you how to turn on the treadmill. I mean, right there, I would have been like, okay, giving up, walking out of here. Help me out a little bit, dude. But so I always feel like I've always had that knowledge. Like even though you know you're working out or triathlon or running, you always have those waves, ups and downs, or maybe you're more serious or you have to step away from a while. But every time I come back, I always know one that it's something that I've I used to like, and two that it gets better. What do you say to people, or what helped you in your experience just to get over that hump? Because I think it's important to get over that hump just so that you will will keep going. You know, everybody's different, right? And everybody has their own motivating factors. For me, I always felt like I was put down. My entire life, I was constantly being put down. And for me, it was like, I want to just prove everybody wrong. Oh, you'll never make it in the gym kind of thing. Like, come on, why are you joining a gym? You're not, you're going to hate it, right? I want to prove somebody wrong if they say that to me. Or if somebody says to me, you don't know how to swim. Why would you want to do a triathlon? Well, now I'm going to learn how to swim. (laughs) You know? So, so for me, it's that, it's that, that negative uh, stuff that, that comes into play that I want to prove people wrong. I want to show people that I could do this. Now, everybody's different. You know, like there's a guy who I was helping out, you know, I do some coaching as well. And he was really scared of the open water. I mean, I was scared of the open water, but he couldn't get past that. And I didn't know how to help him get past it, you know? So I think it's got to come from within as much as you say, oh, you know, go with an open water group, or I'll go with you and let's do it together. You could drag somebody there, but it's got to be within them to make that decision about what they want to do and how they want to do it. And I think it's interesting that you brought up the swimming because I think swimming is one of the biggest reasons why people who are athletic in every other area will not try triathlon because they can't swim. They're afraid to swim, whatever that is. So you think it needs to come from within. I know I probably never would have started swimming, except for that I was, as a marathoner, always injured. 
And I had a friend who said, well, why don't you come swim with me? And you know, like when you are that obsessed with any activity, if you're training for a marathon and you suddenly can't train, you're like, well, I guess I need to find something to do so I don't lose my fitness. So for me, that was it. And my first swimming lesson was horrible. It was so embarrassing. <laughs> How was your first open water? It was so horrible too. Lesson? I mean, I, I don't know what I was thinking when I signed up for this triathlon and it was in Florida, my first, which is also random. Like why I wanted to travel to a triathlon. I have no clue. I thought that when I read your book, I'm like, oh boy, she was brave. <laughs> I, I didn't know any better, you know, and I didn't know any better about the bike or anything. I mean, swimming, you know, I knew how to doggy paddle. I knew how to float, you know, I, I, that I knew, but I never put my face in the water. You know, if I would go with my friend, you know, my family uh, on vacation, I would dunk in and get out and sit in the sun. That was, I was not a water person, right? So my first, um, my first time in the pool, I couldn't get through a 25 yard, I couldn't even get to the other side at like, within like a couple of yards, I started throwing up, I was choking, I, it was a disaster. I didn't even have goggles. The lifeguard threw me goggles to wear. Somebody else's goggles. It wouldn't happen today in COVID times. But, but, um, but then when I, I, I hired a coach, he said to me, you have to go to um, this open water swim. And there was a guy, the head coach there, his name was Brian. He said to me, you know, let's see what you can do. And I tried. And again, I was throwing up. I was, I couldn't get through the, to the end of the pool. And he jumped in the water with me and physically sat there and said, okay, Hillary, let's blow bubbles together. I mean, that's how, that's how granular it gets, you know? That is it, so awesome though. He was, he was wonderful. He really, I mean, I can't believe how much this guy impacted me and helped me to be able to get from one end of the pool to the next. And just little by little, I was able to do, you know, 200 and 500 and a thousand. And, you know, now I'm in. And know what those things even mean. Yeah. And know what those things mean. Right. Well, I, I do have to, I do have to confess that he told me because what happened, what was happening was, as I was blowing bubbles, the water was going up into my sinuses, right? So he told me right away, he said, get yourself some nose plugs. And I always thought nose plugs were for, you know, kids. I mean, I did wear them in, when I was a little kid, but I didn't think adults wore them. So I started wearing them and, you know, going to events and stuff. I, I at first I was so embarrassed wearing nose plugs, right? But then re I realized that there's a lot of people out there who wear nose plugs, you know, who have the same sinus uh, issues that I have. So it was OK. You know, I, I I was always so hard on myself with those things. You know, I want to look athletic, but I'm not really athletic. You know? Oh, isn't that the truth? So I do feel like triathlon is one of those sports where all the self-talk in your head can really get the best of you because 
especially when you're new, you want to look like you know what you're doing. And then there's all these people where if if you've been a couch potato or just inactive for most of your life, just the body composition of some of these really serious people, you can just let the self-talk in your head steamroll. Oh, without a doubt. Without a doubt. I mean, that's what happened with this guy. I mean, he he was so scared of the open water and he had an event and even a half iron man coming up, he just dropped out of everything. He because he he was like, you know, I can't do it. It's too stressful. I'm not doing it. And he walked away. Oh. And for me, I can't let that happen. Like I'm the opposite. Like if I can't do something, I'll go out of my way to keep trying to learn how to do it. And that's how I got myself wrapped up. And the thing about body composition, you know, as you get into this sport and even running, right, you notice that there are very heavy people, there are very thin people. I mean, it comes in all shapes and sizes and everybody is a kick-ass athlete, you know? I mean, really, like I, you can't even, you know, you have this picture in your head that these triathletes are all like muscular and thin and this and that. And, you know, in reality, we're not, you know, we're just not, I mean, it's just, I'm not, (laughs) and I'm okay with that. So how long did it take you to be able to call yourself an athlete? Oh my God. That took a long time. It was funny because the, um, my coach used to call me his athlete. And it it was weird for me, you know, because I was like never athletic. I mean, I didn't, I failed, I practically failed gym. I mean, I I never went to gym. I, I <laughs> that was like my least favorite subject. I just did not. So so it did take a long time, and it was all in my head, and it was it took a couple of years before I really felt like, yeah, I am an athlete. I'm a triathlete. I have a bumper sticker, you know, triathlete. It it makes me feel empowered. Oh, I love that. I love that thinking that it makes you feel empowered to call yourself that. I still have a hard time calling myself an athlete. And I have tons of coaching certifications too. And I still have a hard time with it. So I had gotten out of it for like the two years during COVID and just did my first triathlon since COVID started last weekend. And I had all these friends, oh my gosh, you're such an inspiration. You're so awesome. And I'm like, no, I was just doing what I do for fun. I wasn't wasn't trying to inspire you. I wasn't trying to be awesome. I was just going out there having fun. But I, I think a lot of us just the stuff again in my head where it's like, oh, don't call me that. Yeah, I think it all like kind of stems from like your upbringing and your childhood and everything like that. Like you, you know, like I never felt good enough. I never felt like I was even smart enough, pretty enough, nothing. And I got that from teachers. I got that from my family. For me, it's always been like a fight, you know, to try to get out of my comfort zone. And just now it's like, I finally, I'm at that point where I just absolutely love the open water. And today I went out for a mile swim and I was just in my total happy place, you know? So it's a show that if you just keep at something, 
you can get it. And I, I remember years ago when I mean when I was growing up, they I played the flute and somebody said, you know, well, if you keep playing the flute, you're gonna you'll get really good. And but I I didn't have an interest in it. So I didn't do it. But this, it's like I know every day I'm out there doing something and I just it's become like a habit. And if I don't do it, I get depressed. Okay. That's two more of my favorite topics. One habits Two, how doing something like this helps elevate your mood. And I guess number three, just the community that you develop, which helps also keep you going and keep you from being sad. So talk a little bit about what types of habits did you have to develop to so that you could become consistent? It was very, very hard in the beginning. I would have to go to the pool at 5.30, 6 o'clock in the morning. And getting up that early was torture for me. And Or I'd have to drive like an hour away to use the swimming pool because I liked the swim coach there. Um, wow. It turned out, though, that when I did it in the morning, when I did it first thing in the morning, that became a habit for me because I started doing it every day. At first, it was really difficult and I really didn't want to do it. And I was, but then once I started getting consistent in it, I really felt like it just became part of my lifestyle, you know, like I do it in the morning and then I go to work or do whatever I do during the day. If you really want to do something, And I really did want to do this. I really wanted to do this. I wanted to prove to everybody that I could do this. I wanted to prove to myself that I could do this. So I started by being consistent. And then how long did it take for you to start noticing some of the benefits of that behavior as far as just feeling better about yourself or the changes in how you looked or felt or your energy? It happened pretty quickly. Um, I can't pinpoint in an exact time of when it happened, but it did happen pretty quickly. I noticed when I wasn't working out that I started to get depressed. Like I started feeling like, especially like if you get sick or like I've been, I've been like battling some sickness recently. First I had COVID, then I had rebound COVID <laughs> like the president. I had that before him. Then I went away for two weeks with my family and, and I got pneumonia and I'm now starting to try to get rid of this pneumonia. I still have it in me. So it's been really rough. And I've, I've been having just been feeling so down because I can't work out because that working out relieves the pressure, relieves the everything. It's almost like I go into like a meditative state and I like release all of the crap that I have going on in my head. I let it go and, and it'll come back, but at least it's better. And I feel better about myself when I'm finished with it. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And then the other thing is, you talk about a lot of the friends that you met along the way that you were able to, that you've been able to enjoy time with as you train. Talk just a little bit about community and 
what that means to you. We have such a, an amazing community here on Long Island. Everybody is so accepting. There's a lot of different tri teams here. We have, a, oh my God, I can't even, I can't even count how many tri teams there are. There's a lot, but yet, um, you know, there's a lot of crossover and, I started a run walk group um, in 2017. I'm very, you know, Jeff, Jeff Galloway was my hero. You know, I met him at one of these Disney races and I like bought all his books and he just, I just became totally enamored with him. And I learned, I was a program director for a while for him before COVID. And then after COVID things like kind of broke down and whatever, but I still have my run walk group and it's just, there's something so special about these people. We are so like-minded people. And a lot of the the people who are on my team, my run walk team are also triathletes. So we train together and it's just the accountability is just incredible. Like it just makes you want to go every Sunday or go for a long bike ride on a Saturday with, with your people. And they just make you feel good about being connected and being part of this. And the thing about triathlons for me is that it's not just like Long Island, right? Like I do have like a international team, but I could go anywhere around the country and meet triathletes and just have such a connection with them. You know, to me, it's just like, I love that. It doesn't matter where somebody's located. We still connect on so many different levels, like us just connecting on so many different levels. I can train with people anywhere I go. So it's kind of cool. Yeah, it is very If your dream life includes starting a business or making your side hustle your full-time gig, I would love to help you make that dream a reality. Send me an email at kim at irisdigitalmediagroup.com and let's talk about how you can take action to help make your dream a reality. Okay, you, you brought this up and it's a story in your book. I think this is so cool. Not only did you meet Jeff Galloway, he actually mentored and coached you. That was Tell us so, how that came about. That was so incredible. Well, what would happen was after I met Jeff, I told him that I was a blogger and a podcaster. And I said to him, you know, anytime you want to provide me with content, I'll publish it. And he would send me, he would send me blogs from time to time. And I would publish them. And then um, his publisher, Meyer and Meyer Sport, would send me books and I would review them on my blog. So I was talking about Jeff a lot on my blog. And when I got accepted to the New York City Marathon, which was incredible because I had tried for so many years to be to get an entry in it. Anyway, I finally get accepted and I'm saying to myself, like, I don't know how I'm going to do this. How am I going to run 26.2 miles? I I have no idea. I mean, I could (laughs) could barely run five miles, you know? So so cool. Okay. Yeah. So I reached out to Jeff and I said, look, Jeff, I don't know what I'm going to do. I said, I am freaking out over here. How am I going to run 26 miles? And he's like, Hillary, don't worry. (laughs) 
I'll train you. And he actually did it for nothing, which was amazing. That is so incredibly blessed and so lucky to have him as a coach. And he really taught me the method, which I, you know, I I thought I kind of knew from reading his books, but you can't really, those, it's a good, these are good books, but it's very difficult to grasp it. Um, Excuse me, unless you're really doing it. And like, like with my group, right? I mean, we start at like a five second run, 25 second walk. And then we build that up. Then we go up and we don't go much further than like 15 seconds, 20 seconds of a run. Right. So it's a really hard concept to grasp when you're a runner, right? It's like, what? We're going to stop and we're going to go and we're going to stop. And that doesn't make any sense. So back up a second for anybody who isn't familiar with who Jeff Galloway is and what his method is. Just sure. Second, 30 second overview. Yeah. So Jeff Galloway is an Olympian and he, um, he coined, he didn't actually invent it. He coined the uh, run, walk, run method. And basically what it is, is you, it's, it's giving yourself breaks, um, recovery breaks within the run. And when you're doing long runs, it really makes sense. Like you can actually run faster with these recovery breaks. So for example, when I first started um, coaching his program, there were these two women who were runners. Uh, They were runners already. Um, Most of the people were beginners. They wanted to learn how to run, but these two women were runners and I was teaching, you know, them the method. And what you do is there's a, a miracle um, a miracle mile, right? Where you go out and you run, you know, around the track four times. And then that pace, that one mile pace, you put that into calculation and you could figure out what your run, walk, run uh, ratio is, right? So they went and did this magic mile. I called it miracle mile, but it's really mm-hmm. a magic mile. And they ran around and they... Both were like not eight, nine minute mile. After they learned the program, they were down to seven minute miles. I mean, now they kill it. Like they, they basically do um, two minute run, 30 second walk. And by doing that, they are around a seven, eight minute mile. I mean, it's incredible, right? Mm-hmm. You know, so it really depends um, on a lot of different things. But as a runner, it becomes like a natural thing. And these walk breaks are recovery breaks. And when you're running, you're really running. You're not like, you're not jogging. You're sprinting, basically. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's so interesting. So I heard him talk shortly after I started running I heard him talk at the Omaha Marathon and I was with a friend who had already run Boston before, super amazing runner who was just like, that's never going to work. And so we went up and talked to him afterwards because my friend was like, this doesn't work. And he explained how he used, Jeff used it to do like Boston and then turn around and do Big Sur that what is it the very next week or at the end of the same week and how he was able to recover enough to be able to do that. 
And so I never really did a lot of that until the year I had a hysterectomy. And I was like, I cannot wait anymore. Like the minute I'm, I'm cleared to run, I have to get back out there and start working out. And it allowed me to, using just a run, walk, run method, allowed me to be able to do the races I had signed up for that year. So I wasn't losing them. And then later I realized how much more quickly your body recovers. And I mean, you can just do more of what you love without beating the crap out of your body every time. Yeah, especially as we get older. I mean, Mm -hmm. it's really important to have those types of recoveries in there. I mean, the injuries are just numerous when it comes to running. What I did with the marathon was I kept getting injured before I was having a lot of issues. But anyway, I ended up doing 15 second run, um, 30 second walk. And I did that for the entire marathon. And after the marathon was over, you know, and I crossed the finish line, I was crying. My son calls me from Berkeley. I'm like, (laughs) anyway, um, I went out to dinner with my daughter, my son-in-law, my husband. I mean, we went out to dinner and then the next day I felt fine. The next day we went for brunch. I felt fine. I had like little to no recovery. Like I I did this 26. I was like, okay, ready to keep going. Yeah. That is awesome. Okay. Another question I had for you is you started using a coach for a triathlon fairly early. And I think that is awesome. And I think it's a mistake a lot of people make because, again, all the stories we tell ourselves in our head. What would you tell somebody who is brand new to convince them about why we all can use a coach, no matter if we're very beginner or experienced or if we're like super hardcore and think we're elite? Yeah. I mean, any, you know, I am... I didn't think I needed a coach, you know, and it wasn't really until my, my friend, um, Becky told me that I, that we needed to hire a coach, but I was so glad that I hired a coach. He was wonderful. He really, this coach was, he really whipped me into shape. Um, and I, I don't, there's no way I could have done this on my own. I mean, I would have done it on my own, but I wouldn't have had the same results. Um, I, I did pretty, I did pretty good on my first one. My, and my, and uh, my second one was like two weeks later and I got first place and I was sent to nationals the next year. It was crazy, but um I I definitely couldn't have done it without that. And I would definitely recommend to anybody who's starting out to definitely look into hiring a coach. It's worth the money. I mean, it's not that much money and it's really worth the money. The other thing is, is when you get into it, even, you know, a lot of people will, you know, they'll buy Matt Fitzgerald's books on like 80, 20 triathlon or something like that. And they'll do it on their own. But you know what, you can't do it on your own because you need somebody. First of all, you need somebody to look at those numbers Two, You need somebody's encouragement. I mean, getting that encouragement, I still have the same coach. I'm, I've been working with this woman now. She was a pro triathlete, Danielle, since 2015. 
And she is just so encouraging. I can get down on myself and she'd be like, no, you're doing so good. She's like a cheerleader to me. And I think everybody needs that. I just really think that everybody needs that no matter what. And she coaches a lot of elite athletes and these athletes have definitely improved. There's so many different metrics. Um, A lot of people, you know, when you start, I mean, when I started my coach, he said to me, you know, go get yourself a power meter and all this kind of stuff. So I've been working with power meters since the beginning, but a lot of people, I don't think you have to spend the money on that. Like I'd rather take that money, spend it on a coach and work with the heart rate and perceive and rate of perceived effort and try to like figure out that way. You know what I mean? As opposed to spending all this money on that stuff. And when you're really into it, that's when I think you should spend the money. Definitely. And I, I agree with both of those statements too. Just a coach can help you if you're trying to just elevate yourself to the next level, but you also need a coach. You are not too much of a novice to have a coach. Like everybody can benefit from a coach. And so I I think a lot of people would progress more quickly if they would hire a coach sooner. And then also coaches need coaches. And you, you are now a triathlon coach. What, what made you decide to get into triathlon coaching? It was, well, I have this blog, um, A Triathlete's Diary, and I've had this blog since 2011. It was originally A Runner's Diary, and then it morphed into A Triathlete's Diary. And so, number one, I thought it would really be beneficial for me to have my coaching certificate for the blog. And I also coach these people who do the run walk. So I went out and I got my uh, coaching certification from Roadrunners Club of America. And then I became a personal trainer. I mean, I don't do this. That's almost exactly the way I did all these things. That's hilarious. But I do work with a couple of selected people. I don't want this to be like, for me, I have just so many other things going on. So I take on just a few people each season. And that's it. Like I'm not, I'm not booking up like my coach, she must, she must coach about 35, 40 people. I I don't want that. (laughs) I just want to like, hone in on like half a dozen people. And that's it. Mm-hmm. Correct me if I'm wrong, but you also aren't relying on the coaching as your full time income because you also have an agency. Correct. So I you do. are like a double business owner. Right. And I have these blogs and podcasts also like you. So, you know, it's like I've got so many different things, so many hats in the air. Yeah. So that's, um, it's not my only income. Yeah. So tell everybody how to find your book. Sure. So you can find From Couch Potato to Endurance Athlete, a portrait of a non-athletic triathlete on Amazon and or Barnes and Noble, or you can walk into any Barnes and Noble and ask for it and they will definitely be able to get it. 
And then if somebody wants to check out your coaching, maybe they are looking for a triathlon coach, how do they find you there? They could find me by going to atriathletesdiary.com. And if they go to We Are Endurance, um, I have an international um, triathlon team and anybody can be part of it. And I offer educational webinars like once a week, once every other week with various, like yesterday, we talked about micronutrients. Um, We also talked about bike insurance. So there's a lot of education and I get a lot of discounts as well from um, many of the big brands like Roca, Sumapro, Zelios, you know, well, Infinite Nutrition, you name it. I, I think I've got a lot of the discounts. So you can go to atriathletesdiary.com backslash we are endurance. And you can also get me uh, via email at Hillary with one L at hjmt.com. Love it. Well, thank you so much for being here today. And thank you so much for having me. Thank you for joining me for season four of Power Up Your Performance. If you like this episode, please share it with a friend, rate, review, and follow. Dream big and get out there and explore.